6. Romans chapter 6 this afternoon. Continue here in the book of Romans. We'll look at verses 4 through 11. Last time we were looking at chapters 6 through, began looking at chapters 6 through 8, and we said that these are instructions on how to live the new life we have in Christ. In chapters 1 through 5, we looked at justification, and here beginning in chapter 6, we are looking at sanctification. Now some would say, and I believe the Bible teaches this, that we are sanctified when we're saved. We are being sanctified as we live on this earth, and we will be sanctified completely when we get to heaven. And yet there is a sense in which justification is not quite the same as sanctification. Justification takes place at the moment you're saved, but sanctification is a lifelong process. Uh, Justification is what God did for us. Sanctification is what God is doing in us. Justification is the means and sanctification is the end. In justification, God declares us righteous In sanctification, God makes us righteous. Justification removes the guilt and the penalty of sin. Sanctification removes the growth and power of sin in our lives. Now here in chapter 6, we are brought face to face with the truth that everything God has for us in the glorious offer of the gospel from its beginning work in our lives all the way to heaven. It's all wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. There is no justification apart from Him. And there can be no justification apart from Him either. Uh, No sanctification apart from Him either. He alone opens the way to heaven and He alone opens the way to holiness as well. Paul had been concerned with Christ alone. And that is uh, still the case here in chapter 6. Uh, though the discussion shifts somewhat uh, from justification to sanctification, the focus here is still on Christ and Christ alone. As Paul points us to the fact of our sanctification in Christ, and we've already dealt with the issue of continuing in sin, so there are two more truths he sets forth in this first part of chapter 6. In our study last week, we looked on how dead men should live. Today we want to look at who is the Lord of your life. And just two main points this afternoon for us to think about, and then we'll be done. But look at verse 4 and 5. Verse 4 and 5. And we see here, sanctification is furnished by our resurrection with Christ. Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, and like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of His death, we should also uh, should be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Now, having now stated that continuing in sin is impossible, that's what he said there in verse uh, the first few verses, for a true believer... Paul now goes on to explain how this fact is supported. Uh, He has led to this uh, in verse 3 by identifying us with Christ's death. Now he carries this line of thought on out and points out to us the fact that we're not only identified with Christ in his death, but we're identified with him in his resurrection. 
And the whole truth of our sanctification is tied up in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His new life that he gives us and provides for us uh, is what we need for holiness. Notice, first of all, a resurrection that gives us the power of sanctification. Verse 4 begins with one uh, uh, those uh, critical Pauline therefores. Uh, it's like Paul is saying, therefore, because of the picture of our baptism and how it shows we're identified with the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, it also shows us identification with his resurrection. And so for a moment, let's just stop right there. Paul says that Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. In other places, Paul speaks of the power of God as the agent of resurrection. Now, either way, the point is that it is God that enabled the resurrection. And likewise, our sanctification is a work of God. It's not saying, well, you try hard and you'll get sanctified, okay? Just try hard and uh, you'll be a better person. Uh, sometimes, you know, uh, uh, we do that with our children, don't we? We say, you need to try harder. And uh, there is a certain amount of, of, of uh, uh, benefit or good in that. But when it comes to the sanctification uh, in the Christian life, it's not just human effort that's in, involved. It's human effort powered by the glory and power of God. So the resurrection gives us the power of sanctification. Secondly, the purpose of sanctification. The resurrection gives us the purpose. Uh, Again in verse 4, Paul says, Even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, uh, the even so there refers back to the like as in verse uh, the previous verse, an earlier verse. Uh, Paul says, Like as the Lord was raised to the new life by the glorious work of God, even so we... Even so, we too are raised to new life. That's sanctification. Too often the attention in this verse is placed on the word should, as uh, if newness of life is our responsibility. Is it all up to me? I hope not, because if it's all up to me, uh, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fail. The reality is that our the walk is our responsibility. The newness of life is something God accomplishes for us. The purpose of sanctification is that we, and therefore should, walk in the new life, just as the Lord did after His resurrection. And then thirdly, the resurrection gives us the pattern of sanctification. Verse 5 is critical to understand the overall point that Paul is making. Our sanctification is tied to and furnished by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says there in verse 5, For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we should also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Now bear in mind that the whole of our salvation is centered in on the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the head. And that means that our sanctification or the work of God to make us practically what we are legally is also tied in with Christ. Paul says that just like we are planted in the manner or type of his death, we are also planted in the manner and type of his resurrection. His death was a total and complete death. And so our death to sin, to the old man, something Paul is about to address here, 
Uh, likewise, Christ's resurrection was to a new and glorified life, so is our resurrection with Him. Now, Christianity, again, is not just reformation. You know, a lot of people are trying to reform these days. People are trying to get off of drugs. They're trying to get uh, stop uh, stealing. They're trying to do all kinds. They're trying to reform their lives. But Christianity is not just reformation. It's regeneration. It's a total break from the old life and an entrance into a completely new life in Christ. It's nothing short of a new birth. It's what prompted Paul to say, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 And our new life, that is sanctification, is furnished for us based on the fact and the form of Christ's resurrection. Uh, He was raised to new life, and so am I. Now everything Paul has said so far in this chapter has related to our union with Christ. The idea that Paul is putting forth uh, uh, that by understanding our unification with Christ, we can understand how God sanctifies those he justifies. And Paul goes on in his dealings here with sanctification and points us, secondly, sanctification is fulfilled in our response to Christ. Sanctification is fulfilled in our response to Christ. This is in the rest of the verses here, 6 through 11. Now, when you consider the depth of what Paul has been saying in the opening verses, the question would naturally arise, if Christ's resurrection brings me into new life, why is it I struggle with the old life? If Christ's resurrection brings me into new life, why is it I still struggle with the old life? If my sanctification is furnished by God through Christ, as in the case of my justification, why am I not now completely sanctified? Why do I still struggle? Now in these verses, verses 6 through 11, throughout the next couple of chapters actually, Paul's going to explain how the principle of sanctification through Christ is enacted and fulfilled in our life. We enter into justification by responding in faith to Christ. And Paul then shows us that the same way our faith in Christ then opens us, uh, opens up for us the way of holiness. Notice firstly, the principle we must acknowledge. The principle we must acknowledge. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. He says, knowing this. Now, in in some ways, this is pointing back already uh, still to the principles that he's just been explaining. But then he goes on to uh, restate them or amplify them here in this verse. He says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Paul has placed us with Christ in crucifixion. That's what he said in verse 2. And stated that in death we died to sin. Now Paul brings all the implications of that death before us. And he says that when he died, the old man or the man that we are under uh, died with him. And this uh, this was done so the body of sin might be destroyed. Now these are strong words by the apostle. The death of Christ essentially and practically accomplishes the destruction of body of sin. The body of sin uh, refers to 
the part of us, that is our flesh, our desires, and even our delights in sin. And Paul says that Christ's death was to, be de- was to destroy that part in us. The idea of destroy is to render idle, to make something null and void. And then he goes on in verse 7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now here's the fact that Paul lays out. We died with Christ and the death was for the purpose of freeing us from sin. Not just sin's punishment, but sin's power. We know there's still a part of in us that likes to sin. There's still a body of death in which our regenerated souls dwell. And Paul points in verse 6 and 7... Paul's point is that Christ's death is for the purpose of destroying and nullifying that body of death. Now whether we understand it emotionally or practically, it is a fact, nonetheless, we must acknowledge. Christ died not to save us in our sins, but he saved us to save us from our sins. We may still battle with sin, But that does not change the fact that Christ died to deliver us from those very sins. Now this response to Christ's work begins when we simply acknowledge it. We acknowledge that his death is for the purpose of our total liberation from sin. So he goes on to point, secondly, the promise we must accept. Verse 8 begins with a word that points us to the next step in Paul's logic here. Verse 8 begins... Now, it's it's as if uh, Paul says, now that you acknowledge that Christ died, not just to justify you, but to sanctify you as well, and to deliver you from the reign of sin in your life, now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Again, verse 7 kind of hung on what we should know. Verse 8 hangs on what we should believe. Paul is getting closer and closer to his point here. Our justification is by faith alone. And now we see that our sanctification is also by faith as well. We believe that if we died with him, we also live with him as well. This belief in in verse 8 is based on the fact that uh, was brought out uh, in verse is brought out in verses 9 and 10. We believe this knowing Verse 9, that Christ being dead from the de- uh, raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, and in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. In other words, we accept that he ra- was raised to new life in him, based on the fact that he has been raised to new life himself, never to return to a life of death again. Paul continues this line of thought there in verse 9. He died by reason or for sin, and he lives unto God. Our life is tied up in the fact of his new life. We believe that in the promise of the gospel, that in Christ we are given total freedom from sin. And that promise is based on the life to which Christ was raised, a life free from sin and alive unto God. So that brings us to the practice we must adopt. The practice we must adopt. Now, 
By now, someone was uh, probably in the back there, on that side, way in the back, is raising their hand, saying, wait a minute, that all sounds good, but I'm not sure it makes sense to me practically. Well, Paul's about to show us how that we can believe, uh, what we believe about death and resurrection of Christ must impact our lives as well. Look at verse 11. It begins with the word, likewise. Paul's about to draw a comparison. Uh, he has stated that we believe that Christ died once and he rose again never to return to death. You believe that? I trust you do, because that's what the Bible teaches. Now, he says in verse 11, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's not enough just to simply acknowledge and accept the principles and truths of Christ's death, because we're tied into that death and that resurrection through our unification with Christ, then we must reckon or account ourselves to be likewise dead to sin and alive to God. You see, sanctification is not a work that we accomplish over time through discipline and effort. Again, it goes back to this whole idea that, you know, if I just try hard enough, I'll get sanctified. It's not a work we accomplish over time through discipline and effort. Sanctification is a work that Christ accomplished for us on the cross. When we by faith reckon and account that work to be true in our lives, we then become empowered and enabled to live alive to God and dead to sin. Paul is not dealing with new truth here in chapter 6. He's dealing with the same truth, but a little different application. By faith in Christ and his redemptive work for us, we are justified before God. Likewise, by faith in that same work and the knowledge that springs from it, we are sanctified by Christ. In chapter 6, he explores the truth of our sanctification. The reality is that the whole chapter is really an answer to the question that goes back in verse 1. It was uh, in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The whole chapter begins an answer, is an answer to that. His end is to show that what a true believer will not, yes cannot, continue in sin. Sanctification happens to be the reason for this truth. Now, Paul points, Paul's point in verses 1 through 11 is that if we're united in Christ, then all that his death, in a, is, uh, all that his death accomplished is ours. And again, we come to the end of this section and all of our attention is drawn to the person and work of Christ. We are saved by his work and likewise, likewise we are made holy by that same work. Now at the cross, God made adequate provision for all sinners. Sin has been dealt with and its power has been broken. And so we are to act upon this truth. Whatever power we need to resist temptation is available to us. If we fail, it is not God's fault, it's ours. We choose to sin. And God help us to count ourselves alive in Christ that make Him the Lord of our lives. Now I'm going to give you an illustration here and you're going to probably say, what in the world does this have to do with with what uh, we're talking about? But let's just close with this. 
If we fail to die to our fleshly desires, those desires will shackle us and lead us to our downfall. There is a historian by the name of Thomas Costain who authored a book entitled The Three Edwards. He described the life of Reynald III. This is Reynald III here. He is a 4th century duke in what is now Belgium. And to say the least, he was a little bit overweight. Actually, we could say he was grossly overweight. I look pretty slim next to him, don't I? But Reynald was commonly called by his Latin nickname, Crassus. Crassus meant fat. After a violent quarrel, Reynald's younger brother Edward led a successful revolt against him, and Edward captured Reynald, but decided not to kill him. Instead, he built a room around Reynald in the Newkirk Castle and promised him that he could regain his title and property as soon as he was able to leave the room. And this would have been, not have been difficult for most people since the room had several windows and a door near normal size. The door was not locked. The, the windows were not barred. The problem was Reynolds' size. And so to regain his freedom, he needed to lose weight. But Edward knew his older brother, and each day he sent a variety of delicious foods. And instead of dieting his way out of prison, Reynold grew fatter, fatter and fatter. In fact, Reynold stayed in that room for ten years. He wasn't released until Edward died in a battle, and by then his health was so ruined he died within a year and a prisoner of his own appetite. Now, if I don't show up here one of these days, you'll know that my wife has built a room around me. Now, what's the point? What is it about sin that so easily draws us in? Well, we read the story of Reynold and we shake our heads in disbelief. We say, well, how could that have happened? And yet, you know what? We're no different when we choose sin and self-indulgence over the abundant life that Christ offers us. So instead of sin, choose Christ. Christ died for you so you could experience freedom from the chains of disobedience. I trust that as we meditate upon passages of Scripture like this, and we can seem like, wow, that just makes my head spin sometimes if I try to figure that all out. But basically, he's saying, you know, you, you and I choose. You and I choose to sin. We can recognize, we can acknowledge what Jesus Christ has done for us, and we can accept the promise that he's given to us, and we can practice being the holy people that we need to be by choosing Christ instead of sin. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you.